Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. This is definitely a soft science. It's a soft and fluffy (laughs) science. It's so cute. I don't know what the chances are of this actually happening. But it did. But it did. It did. Oh, is this like a strange but true story? This is, you, you couldn't make this up. Truth is stranger than fiction. It starts with a woman whose husband needs a kidney transplant. Oh, wow. This is starting serious. It, it is. It was very serious. And the problem was she she would have donated her own kidney for him, but they weren't a match. Oh. And so he finds himself way, way, way down the waiting list. You know, it is mm. super long right now. Yeah, so he's probably on dialysis and it's all difficult. And so this woman, she's at work one day and she is in the bathroom and here comes her coworker and she and her coworker are talking and her coworker asks her how she's doing. She says, you know, the one thing that's going on right now, my husband really needs a kidney right now. And the other one said, you know what? I'm, I'm going through the same thing. My husband. And they what? start commiserating over how long the, the waiting list is and how if they could, they would donate their kidneys. So co-worker women both have husbands that need kidneys. They do. Here's the other crazy thing. At one point, the one woman looks at the other and she says, hold on a second. What's your blood type? And she tells her and she says, well, what's what's your blood type? And she tells her. And would you know that these two women are matches for each other's husband's kidneys? No way! So this one woman donates a kidney to her friend's husband, and the other one donates a kidney to her friend's husband. It's like a kidney swap. I don't know how that happens, but it's the coolest thing. That is one of the best stories I've ever heard. Right? Do you think that was the first time that had ever happened in the history of the universe? The fact that two women started talking in the bathroom and they found out that both of their husbands needed a kidney and they found out that both of them would be matches for each other's husband. That might be in and of itself the most unique story I've ever heard. You know what really blew me away about that story, though? About them being positive matches for each other's husbands? No, not that. The fact that there were two women in a bathroom talking about their blood type. <laughs> Like that's, that's the part that blew I, you away. I mean, I I know that like th- this is a thing that men wonder about. The ladies go off to the bathroom in groups, and we just assume they're talking about us. Oh, brother! Because the world well, revolves around us. In this case, they were talking <laughs> See, about their husbands. But I never, in a minute, I was like, I bet they're in there talking about their blood type. That's probably that's what's happening in there right well, now. It's kind of a byproduct. I mean, when women go into bathrooms, we pretty much talk about anything. Really. Well, what do you guys talk about when you guys go into the bathroom? Oh, you don't say a word. It's what? it's silent and you take a vow of silence when you enter the men's room. No chit chat at all? It's not a place for conversation, Jen. <laughs> really? That's that's one of the unwritten rules. You go in the men's room and, and you keep your mouth shut until you leave. For reals? Yeah. That's just how the universe works. You have to follow the unwritten rules. Well, I don't like that unwritten rule. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I think it's just fascinating that you were so flummoxed by the fact that two women were talking in the bathroom. I mean, I know they talk, but I just I assumed it was a limited range of topics. I didn't realize that blood type was something that you would just bring up in the bathroom. Because of a conversation two women had in a bathroom, both of their husbands got a kidney. Yeah, they realized they were matches for the other person's husband's kidney. And this is all because women talk in the bathroom. In the men's bathroom, the unwritten rule is you don't talk. And so we just want to know, what are some of the unwritten rules in life? Okay, so this is kind of geared towards Taylor, since he's a guy. Okay, Okay, cool. Two questions. One, 
um, opening door for women. I always try to do it. Okay, that's like an etiquette thing, I think, but it's kind of an unwritten rule. So, mm-hmm. second of all, married and trying to avoid conflict. Automatic response for men, yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. At our wedding, we had people write marriage advice on on cards for us and put them in a little treasure box. The number of them that said "just say yes, dear" was astounding. <laughs> you just kind of know them. You've never really been told it. You don't think you have, but it's just one of those unwritten rules of yeah. life. This is one that I feel like half the population gets and half the population doesn't. Okay. And, and I think everybody needs to know this. All right, so there's an unwritten rule that 50% of us are breaking? I mean, this is what happens when you don't write them down, is some people oh. just don't see it. Okay, boy, I, I can't wait. What is this rule? When the airplane lands, you don't have to stand up right away. Oh, yes, you do. There's, you're not going anywhere. I know. You're packed in the people tube. I know. Why do people just like automatically like, stand I gotta, up? I got to get up. I got to grab my stuff from the overhead compartment so I can stand wait. I and wait. And half the time, if you're tall, you're crouched under the bulkhead yeah. anyway. You know, and you're just, just kind of looking at people like a gargoyle. And those of us who know the unwritten rules are still sitting in the seats reading our Kindles comfortably. <laughs> And we get off at the same time. Why do people do that? I mean, is it just like you just can't bear to be seated anymore? Gotta go. Like, surely there's a small percentage of people who have connecting flights and they gotta go. Yeah, but but do you honestly think it makes the flight attendants and the pilots do anything faster? Well, I guess I will park the plane faster now. That's the worst when they do it while they're trying to taxi. Like, what what are you... You gonna get a running start off the drawbridge? (laughs) I can make it. I saw in the pre-flight instructions, there's a slide off the side. Can I use that? So Life 107.1 is teaming up once again with LifeServe Blood Center on Friday, July 9th for a blood drive. And Taylor, you say you've got a tip for those of us that are going to donate that we need to know before we go. Just a hot tip. Nobody's talking about this. Uh, No. I, I never made this mistake, but I saw it made when I was donating plasma once. Somebody did something wrong. Complete rookie mistake. I'm I'm settling down and like when, when you're donating plasma, it's even longer than when you're donating blood. It's like a 45 minute commitment of okay. sitting there and squeezing a little squeeze ball. <laughs> and as I'm sitting there, this young couple comes in and they, they both are donating plasma together. They get to sit Aww. side by side Aww. and they're all getting hooked up. And, and the then couple that gives together. He broke up with her. As soon as they got plugged into the donating needle machine thingamabob. You have got to be kidding me! I don't know (sighs) what went through his head that he was like, you know when I need to end this? Right before we're stuck to medical equipment side by side for 45 minutes. In public! So if you're sitting there thinking, it's time to get out of this relationship, (laughs) I should break up with them while I'm donating blood, Life 107.1 is here to tell you, don't (laughs) Don't do do that. that! Every time we promote another blood drive with Life 107.1, partnering up with LifeServe, I always, always remember a time when I was around a needle. Mm. So when I was a little girl, I was deathly afraid of shots. Like many little children. And, you know, you had to go to the doctor and get mm-hmm. those things that they called booster shots. Yeah. You get a little pokey. It hurt. Mm-hmm. I didn't like shots, but I did like this. My mother always promised after we went to the doctor that we would go get ice cream. Okay. I had a favorite ice cream place, the Tasty Freeze in our little town, and I wanted to go to the Tasty Freeze. 
that was the deal. My mom said, we got to go to the doctor. You have to be good. You're going to see the nurses. You're going to see the doctor. You're going to get your booster shots and you're going to be good. And then we'll go to the Tasty Freeze. So she piled us up in our little VW bug and we went to the doctor and then the booster shot came. And then they required backup. Oh, no. Because six-year-old Jenny went a little bit nuts. (laughs) (laughs) And it took one nurse and then another nurse. No. And then a third nurse had to come in. And then my mother. For a (laughs) six-year-old? I'm small, but I'm scrappy. (laughs) And then then my mother needed to get involved. Oh, my goodness. And then the doctor was the one that was actually giving me the shot. And the doctor started approaching as these nurses and my mother are holding me down. And I kicked my black platform shoe off at the doctor. Oh, my goodness. And finally, the (laughs) shot was administered. And everybody is just like, (laughs) you know. And I'm like, okay. So we go and we get back in the little VW bug, me in my safe little back seat. And I say, so mommy, are we going to the Tasty Freeze? (laughs) Fear of needles. Mm -hmm. It's very real. Some people really, 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 really don't like to get shots. Yeah. And we would just love to relive that terror (laughs) with you. The craziness that happened when the needles came out. My mom raised my twin brother and I by herself. And we were terrified of needles. And whenever she would take us into the clinic to get our shots for school, we would hide. (laughs) We would hide under the table and we would not come out. Oh, my goodness. They had to bring a bunch of nurses in (laughs) to drag us out one at a time and hold us down. (laughs) Oh, no. It was bad. Are you still afraid of needles? Oh, yeah. Oh, you are. I cry every time. Do you still hide under the table? No. Unfortunately, they took the tables out of the exam room. (laughs) It's hard enough when you're the person getting a shot. But when you have to take your child in to get a shot, oh, that's not fun. You go through what John went through. My son is going to be turning 12. And when he went in for his, I don't know, his one-year appointment, something like that, they said they needed to draw blood. Here we are trying to get this one-year-old to hold still and have them find a vein. Well, you know what it's like to put a one-year-old in a car seat when they don't want to? Oh, well, making a one-year-old do anything they don't want to. (laughs) Well, yeah, but they can be uncharacteristically strong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They gain Hulk strength. They get scrappy. I am sitting there using my full strength to strap my son down (laughs) so that they can try and draw blood from his arm He's bawling. I'm starting to tear up because I'm having to hold my son and endure his pain. Yeah. And they couldn't find it. Oh. So it it wasn't just a quick in and out type thing. Oh, my word, John. That is like traumatizing. Poor buddy. Yes, it is. I was thinking poor John. Oh, yeah, John, too. Surely you have heard all the warnings about setting off your own fireworks this summer and how to do it safely. Well, yeah, I mean... But there's another safety tip for the 4th of July that I didn't realize. Well, and this is very important, and you need to stop what you're doing unless you're driving. Might be even more important than protecting yourself from fireworks. Well, yeah, because something very near and dear to you could be in danger this weekend. The 4th of July 
is the most dangerous day out of the year for cell phones. Think about it. A lot yeah. of people out near the water, yep. just partying, having a good time. Mm-hmm. Apparently, on the 4th of July alone, water-damaged phones and the reports of that happening go up by 250%. And that's just the ones that are reported. Just the ones that are reported. There are other people who are too embarrassed. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. How many people are doing lots of fun things over this weekend, especially around water? Mm -hmm. And we always have our phones. We always have our phones. And so it serves to reason that this is a very dangerous weekend for your cell phone. So be careful. Um, Keep your rice handy in case you (laughs) drop it in the bottom of Gray's Lake. Or or here's a thought. Here's a thought. I know. I know. Hold on. Hold on to something right now. Leave your phone at home. Well, that's just unreasonable, Jen. (laughs) I'm sorry, I, I can't. Don't take it with you on the water. Do you tell an eagle to leave his beak at home? Do you tell a frog to leave his bendy legs at home? You went with eagle and beak? Yeah. That would be an unfortunate thing for an eagle to do. He would look ridiculous. Oh, come on. Can you? I just pictured an eagle without a beak in my brain. Oh, I have no doubt there are other things happening in your brain. One of the things that can stop your fun over the 4th of July weekend is realizing that, oh, you've lost your phone, destroyed your phone, plunked your phone into a body of water. I was in college going to Iowa State, and I was at a football game, and I went into a porta potty and I happened to set my phone up on the shelf in there. Oh, Oh, boy. No. And I left the porta potty forgot my phone. Well, it turns out it got knocked into the photo oh, party. Oh, no! So the next day, we went back, and the guy who was cleaning out the porta potty says that he finds multiple phones when he's, like, sucking them out or whatever. Oh. I told him my phone was a gold iPhone and had a black magnet on the back of it, and he was like, huh. And he held up a phone in a plastic bag and handed it to me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so what did you then do with that phone? I took it home in the bag, took it out of the case, sanitized it as a poor college student, and yep. used it. <laughs> yep. It is a sick feeling when you realize that that thing that is... All of your texts, all Mm -hmm. of your contacts, all of your pictures, all of it. It's just, it's gone. It's gone. You can't get it. It's like, oh. It's that sinking feeling in your stomach. And we would just love for you to share that with us. You got a story of destroying your phone, Susan? I do. It's a body of water, you could say. Okay. Okay. Uh, My husband and my daughters and I were on a flight. And I rarely use the bathroom on an airplane, and I needed to take care of business. Uh And as I was putting myself together, I heard a clunk, and I realized my phone had been in the pocket of my cardigan sweater, and I looked around, looked around. Oh, boy. You know, there's not much time you spend looking around in a bathroom that size. And I realized it had gone down the toilet no, and I went no, out Oh no! and my husband was asleep and I woke him up and I started to cry and I said, I, lo- I lost my phone in the bathroom and he goes, well, let's go look for it. I was like, no, you don't understand. It went down into that. And he looked at me and patted me on the back and he said, you wouldn't want it back right now. You get it back, honey. <laughs>
You know what's funny is we just heard from a college student who, when she lost her phone in a porta potty in college, she fished it out and cleaned it off and started using it again. And I think that's the difference between you and a college student, right there. Exactly. Exactly. Have you ever had what we were just talking about with Dr. Heidi Warner and Elijah, where you have a big, wonderful life event mm-hmm. and you're on the highest high? Yeah. On the mountaintop, as they say. And then you find yourself, sometimes it could be days later or maybe weeks later, and you're at your lowest low and it doesn't seem to make any sense. Have you ever had that? Oh, yeah. Because I mean, you get through and it's like, okay, well, what now? Why Why do I feel this way? I had that recently, actually. If we're going to be completely honest, last semester, I got to work with the wonderful students at Des Moines Christian, mm-hmm. and we put on a musical, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins was hard work, and it was delightful at the same time. Yep. And in the end, my kiddos did amazing job, an amazing job. It was great. I saw it. They won lots of awards and they did fantastic. And when I was able to walk away from it, it was like one of the highest highs. And then I found myself a few days later on a vacation with my sister. I thought a well-earned vacation. And about three days in, my sister said to me, do you realize that you have not smiled once? Not a real smile once this entire vacation. She said, in fact, your resting face is sad. Wow. She's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I I had this great mountaintop experience and now all I feel is sad. Mm. And she's like, well, that's fine. You know, she says, I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm still going to enjoy our vacation. (laughs) She said, but you probably do need to rest. You Mm -hmm. probably do need to have some calm. You probably do need to connect with God. So when I came back, I had this really good conversation with my friend Taylor, and Taylor said the same thing. And so for me, it made sense to reach out to my counselor. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, I'm like, why? And she said, well, this is God telling you, you need to slow down. You need to rest. Mm -hmm. You need to take stock. And you need to find a way to be happy when you're not busy. And she said, and for you, Jen... I know that that will be hard, Yeah, but it can be done. So when you find yourself after a big high going into a deep low, I think if we're able to extrapolate anything from Mm -hmm. Elijah and Jen, you might need rest. Yeah. And you might need to find a way to find peace when you're not really, really busy. Maybe sometimes the mountaintop experience can even be a little dangerous. Hmm. I was on a mission trip one time Mm -hmm. and we kind of had our evening devotionals. We're all sitting around. We're in this like abandoned orphanage in Mexico and Mm -hmm. we were all camping out with a bunch of people in high school. And one of the counselors sat here and he said, I want to give you a warning because you are going to leave here on a massive spiritual high. Ah, yes. You're going to be out here. You've done a lot of serving. You've connected with God. You've had time to just like sit with other believers and pray together. And it, you will likely leave here very filled up coming off the mountaintop. It's like after a week of camp or something like that. Yeah. And then you're going to come home and you're going to have homework again. You're going to have chores again. You're going to have all the stressors again. Real life. And you're not going to be on top of the mountain anymore. Mm. And you're going to feel like you have fallen away from God. And he said the most wonderful, encouraging thing to me ever. And he said, that's okay. Because God's nearness to you has nothing to do with how you feel. 
<laughs> Sometimes we get on these spiritual mountaintops or even these just emotional mountaintops of like you were talking about with being able to do this play and feel on top of the world. And the mountaintop just isn't sustainable. You're going to be walking on regular pathways and valleys. And just because it isn't as high as you used to be, it's going to feel like you're down. So don't trick yourself into believing the mountaintop is where you're supposed to be all the time. Accept it as a gift instead of the norm. If you have a dog, you know this scenario. Sitting on the corner of the couch, I have a sectional in the shape of an L. I'm sitting on the corner of the couch and I'm reading my book. Mm-hmm. It's a quiet part of my morning. And all of a sudden, Bagel the Beagle, who, yes, I do allow him to sleep on the couch. I allow him to do pretty much whatever he wants. But anyway, he's sleeping on the couch in the different part of the L. Okay. All right. So he's away from me. But nearby. Well, yeah. He always has to be able to see me. And I look up and Bagel the Beagle is slightly closer to me, hmm. but still sleeping on the couch. Okay. Read some more. Look up. Bagel the Beagle is even closer to me, but still sleeping on the couch. I start reading again, and the next thing I know, I sense a presence right next to me. And mm-hmm. Bagel the Beagle is no longer sleeping. He's just sitting there. <laughs> He's just sitting there looking at me. Oh, I've been in that position. Gazing at me with uh-huh. those soulful eyes. Yeah. He's a hound. He's a beagle. So his eyes turn into these giant brown limpid pools. Yep. And he's just looking at me. And I look at him and I'm like, hey, what's up? And he doesn't answer. So I just keep reading because he's not answering me. So all of a sudden, he puts his paw either on my leg or on my arm. Okay. And I look at this paw, this pitiful Mm -hmm. little paw. And then I look up into the pitiful big brown eyes. And I'm like, buddy, what? (laughs) And he's just looking at me and he doesn't answer. I'm sorry, Jen. Are you? Are you really? No, I'm not. (laughs) Because it's so cute. It's, it is. They just they just sit there. It's like... They just put their paw there. Yeah. What does it mean? I don't know. We're going to have to do some research. If only they could talk. So I don't have to rely on my own limited understanding of a dog's brain. Try, try to read their body language. And it's just like, look, you're just, you just keep on telling me cute. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm getting that's from, from I'm looking getting. at you. When the dog sidles up to you and he puts his paw on me and just looks at me. I literally, I'm like, what? Well, Steph has a theory. What do you think that means? That he wants your attention. Okay. Okay. So I talked to him. And that he wants petted. Oh, he wants petted. He wants petted. He wants physical attention. He wants more than just talking to him. He wants you to put your phone down from scrolling through Facebook and pay attention to him. (laughs) He does it nightly to me. Oh, he does? (laughs) The dog's like, look, Mom, I saw the social dilemma. You don't need to be on there. Oh, my goodness. Right. What kind of dog do you have? I have a Lhasa Opsa. His name's Bear. Bear. And Bear does not like it when you're on Facebook? No, he no. likes to have his own attention. Yeah. He will get in my lap and put his paw up on my face, just <laughs> underneath my glasses, like, hey, wait, get off the boat. It's the great mystery. We'd love to hear from you what it means when the dog puts his paw on you. The fact is, is there's been a scientific study. Has there been science? Science! Someone's doing science! Well, this is science and pets. So we need to talk about it. Science and pets, yeah. Science and pets. 
I mean, this it's is, definitely a soft science. It's like it's a soft and fluffy <laughs> science. It's so cute. Somebody who has got some letters after their name thinks they know why your dog comes up to you and puts their widow paw on your arm or on your leg. Yes, somebody wrote about this on a website called getpocket.com. So, I mean, they they know what they're talking about here. Absolutely. Apparently, because dogs have realized that physical contact releases all those little happy chemicals in their brain. Yes, because dogs figured out about endorphins. They touch you to extend the petting session. It's saying, I love you. Okay. That's that's what it says. Really? It's, it's your dog's way of saying I love you when they put their paw on your when leg. When they put their paw on your leg, it's telling you that they love you. It's like them mimicking you petting them. They're petting you back. Mm-hmm. And you know what I have to say to that? What? What do you really want? That's exactly me! I'm like, look, I know what there's something more want? going on here. There's gotta be a catch. It's like the daughter coming up and being like, I love you, mom. <laughs> if you ask a scientist... They'll tell you that when your dog puts their paw on you, it's their way of showing you affection because they realize it feels nice when you pet them. So they're petting you back because they like you. I say that's hogwash. Oh, you really do? I, when Lacey puts her paw on me, it's it's not because she's saying I love you. She has other ways of showing that. Oh. Okay, but does she have other ways of communicating with you? And that's the thing, she does. You you can you can read this dog's body language and the most striking no, one. No, no, no. You can read this dog's body language. I, yes, Lacey and I have a special bond <laughs> and I've found that to figure out if she needs to go outside and do her business, she kind of starts, you know, getting a little antsy and you ask her, "Do you need to go out?" If she needs to go out, first thing she'll do is she will cock her head so hard it's almost upside down. Oh, I love it when they I do love that. dogs who yeah. cock their heads and Lacey does it. And then this is the tell. She will spin around in circles. And the number of circles she spins in is directly proportionate to the amount of badness she has to go outside. <laughs> So if it's just one spin? Yeah, sometimes it's just kind of this casual turnaround, like, oh, I guess I could if you want me to. And then you're kind of like, okay, this is obviously not an emergency. But sometimes she turns into the Tasmanian devil and sprints toward the door, and then I know we better get a move on. Wow, you are very perceptive. I, you know... You have figured your dog way out. It's subtle. <laughs> the opposite of subtle. <laughs> Lacey is the opposite of subtle. The dog is throwing herself against the door. <laughs> you know, when Please! my dog sprints into the door and barks at it, it's this owner pet knowledge, the connection. I'm like, you need to go outside, don't you? We get each other. I could just say that I am just minding my own business in these scenarios. Cleaning the kitchen, sitting out on the porch, you know, trying to get some sleep. And then all of a sudden I feel it. You feel it. I feel it. It's the way that my dog communicates with me. I'm pretty sure that he's a Jedi. Oh. Because this is what Bagel the Beagle does. I'll just be doing my thing, whatever it is. And I look. And it's a dead stare. <laughs> and he's got a lot of eyeball to stare with. He's a he's a beagle. He's They've got, got these those really, big eyes. And he's got like the he's got black around his eyes too, so mm-hmm. it makes his eyes look even bigger. So it's a little bit like an anime character staring yeah. at you. And he just stares, he's Taylor. Just staring. Taylor, he just stares at me. Uh-huh. Do you figure out what he's trying to say? He'll be stone still. Uh-huh. He won't move a muscle. 
nothing. He just stares. Yeah. And if I look into his eyes for too long, I start to get like, you know, like the rings get, yeah. going like oh, this. Oh, boy. And I'm like, I know what you want. <laughs> and he'll look at me and I'll say, you want a treat. creature in the world and i'm like this dog is my sole person he's just because he is so motivated by food really hungry (laughs) up until bagel the beagle i had only ever had labrador retrievers labs my entire life they did not communicate with me the way that bagel does who just will stand about five feet away from Mm me and full dead-on stare and he's a He's a hound, so he has a slightly grumpy look on his face anyway. So mm-hmm. it's just this full stare, and I'm kind of like, what? Well, what? What? Turns out Bagel isn't the only one who communicates with his eyeballs. Yeah, I can relate. I have two Beagles, and mine do the same thing. Please? They they do the stare. I have four eyeballs staring at me, and it's like, <laughs> what do you want? It's either walk and all I have to say is walk, and they go crazy. Yeah. Or I say tur, and they just go crazy. So, yeah. We have drawers, you know, that line down the cabinets of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And those little turkeys can open up the bottom drawer, which is the snack drawer for the family. Have you ever thought about moving the snack drawer? <laughs> well, now we just have a yardstick that goes all the way through all of the drawer handles. Oh. <laughs> you keep a yardstick in the drawer handles because of your beagles. Correct. They can open the door. The Taylor and Jen podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.